Welcome back, Terrible Warriors, to another Meet the Maker episode, where I got to sit down with some of the people that help make the games that we enjoy to play. And today, it sounds like I'm talking to Matthias, the co-creator of Symbarum. And you might be wondering, wait a second, you already talked to Matthias, the co-creator of Symbarum. Ah, yes, but the co-creator of Symbarum is also called Matthias the other co-creator. And so today, I am sitting down with Matthias Ilya, the co-co-creator of Symbrum, and one of the writers, and one of the people behind converting Symbrum into 5th edition rules. That's what we're talking about today. The Ruins of Symbrum 5th edition is out on Kickstarter right now. And as I like to do when I sit down with the makers of our games, I want to find out what got you started playing games in the first place? Started in uh, 1983. There was a couple of people that, that played D&D when they were visiting the States and came back. I was then again, must have been like 11. <clears throat> so I got the uh, got my hands on the the basic D&D red box Menser, um, start basis the starter set for basic for what's called basic D&D now. Um, I absolutely loved it. I, I didn't uh, understand English very well, so I used the thesaurus together with a friend. We just deciphered it to the point that we could at least play it, and we had a blast. I didn't have any money, as I said, I was like eleven or twelve, so um, I uh, started creating content almost immediately, uh, being a DM, and then. A bunch of Swedish games came along as well, uh, so we shifted to mostly playing in Swedish. But I stayed on the only the only English language game I played was basically D and D, A D and D, Second Edition. So it just kept going. I did other stuff. Uh, went to uni, uh, worked in the health sector for a bit. But I always felt I should do games somehow. So. 2001, we started a, a company called Jandingen, which produced Swedish language RPGs. Eventually, I shifted into the, the video games industry as a producer at Paradox Interactive, where I stayed for the better part of a decade, during which we produced uh, Simurum, for instance. And uh, we, we, we did that at the, another, um, another company, and then we merged with Free League Publishing, where we are today. So we need to paint the picture because I remember we talked a little bit about the story of this publishing company and Paradox. You were the group that took the Coriolis property, correct? Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the... Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of been bouncing back because we created that in the first company we made and then it ended up with... with Paradox didn't really do anything with it other than license it back to the uh, Free League Publishing. That I, uh, that we later merged with. So it's a, like I just find that the story of Coriolis is just so fascinating. The story of how it started, the way it was sort of stewarded through these different places, yeah. then ending up at Free League being bought, and then having the original creators returning or then merging with Free League. Yeah. And this this strange big circle story. Yeah, but it all goes back to a bunch of friends. Uh, they grew up. The, the the then CEO, the now chairman of the board of Paradox, is actually also uh, a friend of ours. And he, so he, 
and he thought that the IP might do well in the Paradox catalog, but it never got to be used other than as a licensing brand. And then when, when me and the other Matthias joined Free League, we, uh, we all agreed that it would be good, to, so we bought it back. So now it's um, back home, in a sense, with us. So that's another one, another game that I, uh, of course, feel feel strongly for. So I'm going to do... It's been on our short list for a long time, and and I've I, I've got it on my shelf, and and one day we'll finally uh, give it give it its due, like we've done with uh, with Simbrome and, uh, and 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 the other games that have come out from Free League as well. What was it about Simbrome? This game gets made. You go on to work at Paradox, but it seemed like with both you and with Matthias Hacke that it was there was like a lure to Simbrome that just kept bringing you like, we've got to do this. We've got to do this. We've got to do this. What was it about Simbrome that hooked you? It's hard to pinpoint any one thing, but I think the the mix of the the mythology, I guess, that we picked up, it's not ours, but we, we adopted it with, with man's mankind trying to live with nature or dominate nature in, in different forms and, and the idea that if we do it too much nature strikes back in the game we can we can give nature uh, uh that type of direct power in the form of corruption that's sort of the mythological foundation for the game and then we added a more political game with with this young queen that leads her people away from a dying land and into into this realm that that where the barbarians are, or at least the, the more civilized people would call them barbarians. So you have this sort of these struggles on different levels that I think means we we sort of don't run out of stories to tell. And there's always a, an angle you can take or or you can move from a more to a, to or from a mythological to a political or whatever layer you want to. And then of course you yeah, have a very we- classical, let's go get treasure level to it as well and, and but that gets complicated and I, I think in a nice way i, I was we, i was super happy when we managed to make the elves uh likely adversaries because not because the elves are oh depends on who you ask i guess but the, the elves are in their own mind they're trying to defend the world against human um exploitation where they where they defeat they formed what's called the Iron Pact. They defeated the old Simbarum Empire and then planted the forest over the whole thing to keep the evil tied down by the roots. And now intrepid adventurers come digging for, for lore or treasure or fame uh, and risk awakening the thing that should definitely not come back. So I think we, we've um, we always found stories to tell. Uh, in it, so, yeah, so it was. Uh, we did a session zero on the st- using the starter kit for Simbrum, and where myself and two others we made characters and we talked about these characters that we made. But even just that very brief scratch into the game that we took, all three of us latched onto a different aspect of the setting. Right. I think for me it was because I was also playing Crusader Kings at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the 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 way the 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 duchies and the the, the politics yeah. and the family lines all are, are kind of teased about and talked about. And 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 even as you mentioned the the Davakar forest and these treasure hunters, there's still this like 
you have to have an expeditionary license yes. and you need to hire your team. And, mm -hmm. and, and there's this little bit of bureaucracy in politics and even just going out and being treasure hunters. And it felt yeah. a little bit like the Shackleton expedition <laughs> looking for brave adventure, survival not guaranteed. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then on top of that, you've got this mystery of the forest itself, the, the really fantastical elements of the, the dark forest and the, the, the corruption inside of it and the way all these different factions have a very different but still true view on way magic is. And they, they, they're all correct, but they're all completely different and in a way opposed to each other in their ideologies. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it was so fascinating. It's so complicated. And way too often in, in, in a lot of sword and sorcery settings, it gets oversimplified on axes of alliance or... Um, not alliance, uh, uh, alignment is what mm. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. And uh, good and evil, lawful, chaotic. And and Simbram makes it very messy and very gray. And and I really, really liked that. Yeah, I, I think that's... Um, we strive to build it always sort of with a social... An idea of that... The, for us, it's important that the people in the world... It, the world makes sense to them. Or they make sense of it, I guess. So that... If you meet someone and they have a very opposing view of you, if you, if you would talk to them, maybe you won't. But if you did, you would probably understand that they have a point of view that in their mind is, is makes sense. And it's not just, I want your stuff or, well, you can meet thugs like that too, but they often have an idea. Uh, we even gave the... Everyone's a main character in their own yeah, story. Yeah, a bit like that, that the world should at least be able to do that. Yeah, and, and you know, maybe we, we we're not all the heroes in our story, but we, we, we are all the main character. And, and playing NPCs and having the tools, if you're a GM, to be able to give these non-player characters that kind of ego... <laughs> where you know why they're a bandit, you know why they're robbing you, and you know their history and how it connects to this world around them, and and, and again making it complicated. I love that when you you meet up with a bandit and they rob you, and you defend yourself. Maybe you kill them, and then you head into the next town, and their families are waiting for them to come home from work. <laughs> and I would like that. You having to then deal with that messiness. And I think that's how we how we like to approach. I mean, you don't have to go deep. You can play it in a sort of shallow way, but I think it it lends itself to a more complicated view. And I think we 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 let that seep into how combat works. There are all, often social limit. Even if you're sort of a powerful character, you could technically technically beat the crap out of people you meet. People will remember you, and they will tell their friends. Uh, so there are a lot. We try to give plenty of reasons not to use force, but rather find another way. And there, we do that in, I think, two ways. At least when we succeed, we don't do that all the time. But one is we're not super concerned with handholding in the terms of if the players are confronted with a monster, it's not at all sure that they can beat it. We don't really care because we also don't lock people in. So they have to fight. They might negotiate. They might make an alliance and win. They might retreat or just outright flee or try to sneak around. And every, all of those become more relevant if fights are few and hard. Uh, so certain monsters are dangerous. And if it's intelligent opposition, we always try to calculate that they're not going to attack you if, they, if they're certain they're going to lose. 
which I think is a problem in some games. Like odds are stacked in a way so that you need to do a number of fights, and when you're done, you level up. It's like, well, but I understand that the necromancer giving orders to skeletons. They don't care. They will attack two as a single skeleton can attack an army. They don't care. But a bunch of goblins wouldn't. Right? They want to live. They want your stuff. So they threaten you or attack if they're so it's more like those lines. Like if 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 you meet somebody and they attack Yeah, unless they're more afraid of the person giving the order. Yeah, sure, sure, exactly. They're yeah, not you going can of to... course have a, a setup like that. That'd be that'd be beautiful and, and horrible in the same way. You can do that, but but there, there needs to be some rationale of why they want to fight. Maybe they fight and then flee or so so both the not knowing exactly how dangerous the enemy is at all times or what you're gonna meet, and also that the enemy we have less fights, uh, generally speaking. In if you take the five E ruins of the Simbra version, I think the, the the number of fights going to be fewer in this sort of a vanilla five E game, but they're going to be harder on on that account. We want it to. It's all. It's also more dramatically appealing. I would say, at least to me personally, to have a fight where I know the stakes are high, and not just it's a run of the mill. Type thing. If you if you do it run of the mill, you should probably you should probably make it tragic in some way. So at least you feel something for the fight. You know you're going to win, but you wish you didn't have to twist the knife just a little. Yeah, that would be uh, I think a, a pro more proper so, setup for that. So we've been talking about the Simbarum setting, and and and, and I mean just to mention some of the things that they, off of the um, the mechanics that that kind of teach you about not just simply running to the simple answer the same deal with i think corruption the corruption threshold all three of the characters we made in our character creation episode ended up becoming untrained mages in, in our own background stories which means we we're all starting with one point at least of permanent corruption and the way that plays into story arcs and the the shadow that that every character has mm -hmm. uh it's all just like there's this threatening presence throughout the whole setting that's just sort of under the surface. And, and, and maybe it's something where characters are going to scratch at and try and expose and other characters are going to ignore and try to pretend it's not really there. But it's always present, whether it's with politics or with magic or with exploration or with combat, treasure hunting. There's always this risk in that the, the world itself is fighting back against everyone, yeah. <laughs> regardless of their background. And, and it, I, I just love that it's kind of the sense of, of dread that, that, that hangs on to everything. We try to, we try to give that sort of a sense of doom. Um, it can be creeping, but it's still, still there and i one of my tenants when i design games is that, that i try to i don't always succeed but what i try to do is people who play the game by the numbers or play the game by lore and setting should end up making the same type of choices uh so we try to get the mechanics to be a part of part of the setting corruption for instance you can handle corruption in different ways when you're a player you can try to avoid it entirely you can manage it uh, and you can, you, can, you, you can weaponize it. You can put them into crystals. And yes, <laughs> you can even, uh, if you become a, a, a sorcerer, you can even start to use it and use your own corruption against others. And even better, you can use other people's corruption against them. That's, And then you're part of that side, right? And you still have to handle it. 
Yeah, you, now you're handling an atomic bomb in, yeah, in yeah. your you're hand. Yeah, you're probably going to end up in a, You have to be very careful with yeah, You're going to probably end up in a very dark Yeah, you're going to end up with fallout. You're going to end up <laughs> You're going to fall up disintegrating yes, in front yes, of somebody you're very soon. It's the anti-hero path, I guess. Right? Fighting fire with fire or whatever you want. Yeah, um, Lord of the Rings Oppenheimer. <laughs> exactly. A bit like that. So so we try to we try to build it like that and we do that in, in this, that's um, the corruption is actually one of the mechanics that translated really well into 5e uh, it, it works the same way you have a, you have a threshold it actually increases some with level and the more powerful things you do in the world magic being the primary example of that you manipulate the world around you to your you bend it to your will which nature dislikes which sort of generates this corruption uh, so the more powerful spells you cast the more corruption you get but just like in the original game, there's a dynamic component to it. So you can push yourself if the fight or the cause is po- important enough for you. Survival, IP1 or something else. You can always push a little bit more, maybe just one more spell. So we replace the spell slots in 5e with just, you just build up corruption. And you can always, maybe, maybe one more spell. It will get us out of this problem. But then again, I might risk going over my threshold and getting these more lasting problems. So, so we want to have that, the reason to go to the dark, to the dark side. It's often, games often have a, a dark side mechanic, but it's often not really appealing. And we've tried to make this one have that, the lure of the dark side that you can actually use it for something good, at least in the short term. Uh, we want to build in there, and everybody gets affected, not just spellcasters. You have people, yeah, very tuning to magic, lighting yourself on fire to keep your friends warm, or the ends justifying the means. Yeah, a bit like that. A bit like that is what we're going for. But we're not exactly equating it with evil, which I think is what you alluded to earlier, because a lot of people who who, who use corruption or at least accept that that it's created, they do it for good. They would, their intentions would probably sound good. And even a lot of people who, who are afraid of corruption or, or uh, even fighting very clearly against it, like uh, the Templars being my favorite, they are really nasty. They're not, they're not behaving in a good way. And they're, they're zealots. They yeah. yeah. They would rather, yeah, they're zealots. They would rather kill an innocent than that a, a, a corrupted creature escape. So, so they would, they, and, they generally don't have corruption, or at least very low, uh, and and they would really chase people who did, or, or uh, try to to defeat them or stop them. So it's not the same thing. Evil and corruption is not the same thing, even though a lot of corruption is super dangerous. Yeah, it it it, it and that that played out in our character creations. All three of us who ended up picking a bit of magic. It wasn't that we were being evil it's that we were compromising on something uh my character was compromising on like his mentor who had been teaching him was himself uh, uh someone who had been properly trained with magic and, and he came from a noble home and mm-hmm. he stole this codex when he left to go make a name for himself but he's doing this because he needs an edge he needs something that's going to put him over there so that he can show everyone his uncle, who's going to become the lead of his house soon, yeah, had this war in this history that he was able to get all of the, his glory from. But there's no real active war 
when we come into Simbrum right now. It's it's all very much in a standstill or an armistice, and everyone knows fighting is coming, but it's it's all just it's it's on a razor's edge. And for someone like my character, who he needs something in history to happen right now or he's not going to be able to prove himself and his uncle is going to take over the house and he's just going to be living on the street as as, as a nobody and his uncle is cruel and his uncle is is corrupted in like the government corrupted sense yeah exactly so he needs to he needs to win this and so he steals this codex because if he's gonna go he's he's a weak little frail person who's not going to be able to go toe-to-toe the way his uncle did on the battlefield but maybe magic will be maybe magic. what exactly. will help him survive in this very dangerous forest that he's going to go into to try and find something, mm. either knowledge or treasure or power or something that's going to help him win his house back. And and it's such a doomed story arc yeah. right, yes. from the beginning because yes. <laughs> we, we all know as the audience yeah. that this isn't going to work out for you. But we also can empathize like he's backed into a corner. What else is he going to do? He's not just going to give up. I like that. That's the. I think that's the spirit. It doesn't have to be doom and gloom, but it should be. You should have a, a sense of who who your character is because the world around you is going to react to you. Um, I love the. We have changelings, as you know, as one of the origins where the elves took a human child and left this thing in its place, uh, and and they look like human children until maybe. Maybe they're teens. And then they start to develop, well, almost elven traits. They're not half elves, they're, they're something else. So you can, you can pick one of those and, you know, like try to. So in my own campaign, we're playing uh, the, the Throne of Thorns campaign. We have one of the changelings trying to find out who created her and why. That's her. She's not a bad person at all just just her quest is just a very strong drive to understand where do i come from and why did this happen to me and then she realized that somewhere there's a human living with the elves who's was supposed to live my life who's that so you you have you have these sort of story hooks that you can throw into your character Mm -hmm. and have them pull you or push you depending on what it is through the world as you go as you go about and it adds a lot of um, ambiance to the to the setting. I think that the characters are are they're a part of it. You don't just necessarily arrive there. There might be uh, some some of the conflicts are also your conflicts on a sort of micro level. Mm-hmm. So we've skirted around it a little bit here. We've mentioned it a few times. Obviously, the reason you and I are talking today is because Simbrum is is uh, coming out on fifth edition uh, as as a, a adapted rule set f- to, that can work with Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition. So, what were I guess first, why? Uh, Simbrum is such a, uh, an interesting and robust setting in its own. Uh, why adapt it to 5th edition? And to f- uh, quick follow-up, what were some of the immediate challenges that you came across when you were making those changes? Because so much, as you mentioned, the setting and the rules informed each other in Simbrum. I imagine it must there must have already just been a, some initial challenges where fifth edition isn't made for your setting not it's not bespoke as it were um wh- what was that like those those very first early moments on the question of of um why uh 
some of uh, the symbiom, the original symbiom set, uh, rule set is actually influenced by various editions of D and D. It's not obvious since one of the main features of Five E, namely leveling of characters, is not a, a part of the original symbiom. But there's a lot of other stuff in it that makes them uh, go well together. There's a there's a limited number of abilities that is forms the basis of of most uh, checks. There are there, are, and then there's additional, almost optional rules on top of that that can that you can use. Uh, but leveling was, of course, one of the things that we had to to manage eventually. I'll, I'll talk more about that in a second, because we started talking about a five E version of of Symbrom quite early, given that we a thought it would be possible, since there are there are there's a couple of things to solve for sure, but there are also stuff that would be straightforward. The key mechanic of corruption is one of them that was um, pretty easy to, to to see in 5e. We also got people contacted us and said, this looks like an awesome setting. My players will not change. We accept that we change the, uh, the rules. Uh, they want to play 5e or whatever version of D&D they were playing at the time. Can is there anything I can do right now? I'm making such a sort of a homebrew. I'm inspired by it. Uh, so we started to look at what would it take. So we did what um, we did the primer. Uh, we used um, the promised land uh, adventure, which is the first adventure that we ever used for for the original Symbrum to promote that game. So we did we we took that and the first like, I think it's like six levels. We sent that out and let people play and comment on it, and we felt more and more like, yeah, we can actually, we can actually pull this off. So we wanted to, I mean, we wanted to expand the install, the install base of the game. Uh, of course, based on the fact that the more people play Symbrum, the more we can create of it. So it's sort of a, as long as it, the new edition doesn't capitalize on the old original one, if they can run in parallel. And that's more a staffing issue than anything else, because a lot of the content would be the same for both. All right, so then we had to tackle the big issues. I said corruption was easy, leveling was not so easy. Um, the original uh, Symbron game has fewer uh, advances on, on in, in, the very, in the various dimensions. You can increase, improve your character while you have 20 levels in, uh, in 5e. So there's a lot more small, they're incremental, more or less, uh, in 5e, and they're, they're more um, distinct um, in, in, in the original syndrome. So we had to map that onto each other. And it, it, I think it works out fine, but we had to do some adjustments and play tests. I th the way I try to describe it is that there's the same, the setting's the same, the, the theme is the same. So in spirit, the games are the same, but in detail they might differ uh, quite a lot because there's a lot, a bunch of things that we don't want to change in 5e and also can't, but also don't want. So, for instance, we add we want if you we adapt always, it too much, it ends up becoming its own rule set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> which, yeah, which be, is defeating the point of going to fifth edition in the first place. Correct, correct. That was a good way of putting it. So, but for instance, we wanted the forest of Davakar to feel dangerous even for high-level characters in 5e. You have more options in 5e than you do in the original game based on a multi, a multi you get mul a more, 
you get more um, abilities of different kinds or features. So we needed to to uh, make that make it feel threatening even for higher level characters. So we in, we introduced a third type of rest, which is not a short, long. We call it an extended rest. An extended rest in Simbarum, or ruins of Simbarum, can only be taken in very safe places, such as among the elves, if they don't hate you, uh, with the witches or the barbarians, if you can get along with them, or if you find a tower with a door you can lock and you can easily defend it, or some such. Not just a random glade or, or behind a tree, or, or let's go to the part of the tunnel that we cleared. That doesn't count as safe. So the extended rest um, means you, that's where you can spend your hit dice to recover hit points or remove temporary corruption. So even a powerful group of adventurers in, in Ruins of Simbarum would need to manage your resources and eventually start to relax. You need to pull back somewhere to, to rest, really rest. And it would also help them to, let's not alienate everybody in this forest that could help us potentially, because we're gonna need a safe place to land and just just <laughs> gather our strength. So we try to tie the, so, and, that, and there's no really no, there's no exact parallel to that in the original game. We think it carried the feel of the setting into the 5e system, so it differs in detail, but we, we see it as, as, as um, it's the same kind of spirit of the place, but it's not the mechanic is, uh, the concrete mechanics are not exactly the same. As someone who has run games uh, in, in, in a setting for the public, and it, it always feels like there's 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 these two camps. There's there's players who who enjoy tabletop RPGs who seek out as many different games as they can get. They love trying out Powered by Apocalypse. They love picking up Forbidden Lands. They want to play the new Alien RPG. They want to play Star Trek Adventures. And they, they keep picking up all these different and, and, and learning these new rules and these new settings and, and playing the rules that match the settings and 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 tracking down those games that are that are very much tailor-made for those worlds. And then there's the other camp where they play Dungeons and Dragons. And tabletop RPG is D and D? It's the same. They're 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 they they become interchangeable. Where you and 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 I even found this running games where I would have to very specifically like say it's you know it, this is not Dungeons and Dragons because it, you would say at, at an RPG and they would just assume that you were just talking about D and D uh, and 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 many players surprisingly were unaware that there were other games that were not Dungeons and Dragons. I would tell them about uh, a card-based game that I have or a game that doesn't use dice or a game that doesn't even have GMs and it would it would blow their minds because th there was no uh, awareness of of a world outside of maybe Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu and Pathfinder. And, and 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 maybe throw in some world of darkness games like vampire and and uh, and, and werewolves and 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 that's it and and then and then and now you've you've covered it off and 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 yet we've got this other world of of independently published rpgs that i it, are countless there are countless numbers of games you yes. cannot count yes. them there are too no. many of them <laughs> and and they make up such a a small percentage of 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 what that share of of tabletop role playing is that Dungeons and Dragons has um, captured, and uh, so it, it's it's one of those 
I uh, obviously just through Terrible Warriors, I love playing indie games and highlighting them and giving them a spotlight. And I, I also understand the pragmatic reasons for making a fifth edition version of your game. Yeah. Is, is, is it just, is it a hope that you will be exposed to players that would never under any other circumstance have ever heard of Simbrum and maybe even lure them to this is great, but I wonder what the original would be like and try those other try that other rules and, and dip their toe outside of that of that place that they're so comfortable in? Sure. But I mean, it's uh, for, for me, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a big fan of 5e myself. I've played, as I said, every edition. Uh, I've enjoyed them more or less. I think the fifth edition is more, more akin to my, my early days in basic, um, basic D and D in the early, <clears throat> early to mid eighties. In many ways, because it's less complex, which is a good thing, generally for me. So, so who, what system they want to play would be up to them. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, of course, I love the original system, even though it, ha it has a few quirks. But I was also one of the designers, so it's, uh, it's my baby. I, I hope, and we can also see that the Kickstarter running now has people that we've never talked to before. And there's a, as you said, I, I think the idea that D&D globally is seen as, as, as the same as tabletop RPG, but I think it's even more true in America where it's from. And it, it, I mean, it started the whole thing in like 74. So it's got a massive brand awareness. So, so I'm not surprised and it's not, I don't think it's a bad thing. I even think that's how most businesses work. They have... Even a niche, there's a mainstream to a niche. You look at the amount of music that gets made, and then you start asking people what, what artists they're aware of. It's going to be roughly the same percentage. It's going to be most people don't know about most music, or you can you can look at more, a, a lot of products. So D and D is is the dominant for good reason, and has been for a long time. So and then everything else moves moves around it. So I, I think I, I, I would be very happy if we got new players that enjoyed the setting in 5e and they didn't feel compelled to move over. If they did, fine. But if they don't, that's that's great too. Because our goal, to be honest, and fairly ambitious, is to get... If we get 5e to fly, we, we would want to move it to the point where the original Symbarum and the 5e Symbarum are on par and whatever we make, we can make for both systems. You can put out new rule books like you've been doing. You've got this like six-story arc that that we were talking about in the last interview with Matthias. That that those new books, you would just buy one book, and they would work for either game that you were playing. Yeah, we haven't exactly, we, and we haven't decided if we want to do the same book with with two systems in them. I, I think it would make sense. From a, from a size perspective, to maybe not do that, maybe have different lines so that they're distinct and how they look. The content is roughly the same, but they're implemented differently. So you have a fifth edition universe, and you have uh, a core universe. Yeah, exactly. And, and when, they would when sort they, of live independently yeah, from each when, other. when those players meet from the different universe, they can still agree or disagree on the on the whether the Iron Pact is doing a good thing or the Church of Prios is is worth listening to or how do you get around those damn tempers that show up everywhere and burn people? 
whatever. So it's- it makes me think of uh, when when different countries meet. Uh, Ireland has hurling, and Australia has um, uh, their Australian football. The rules of the game are are similar but different. Yeah. So when they meet together, they have to have compromise rules in order to actually have a match. It's like and that. And they all yeah. agree on what the compromise rules are going to be. Yes, mm. I mean some such. I, for, for, I, I imagine there would be parallel lines that use mostly the, the same content and the same story, but on different rules. And, and if people want to move between them, that'd be fine. But I don't, I don't think that's what... Will it be quite easy to convert characters between those settings? If I've already got a, a character in Symbrome, but my players want to play the 5th edition version, mm. would I be able... Uh, is, is there a way for me to convert that character into a 5th edition language? Sure. There is, but it's not a mechanical... Pro- There's no good... It would just be keeping the concept and then just yeah, looking at, building it with that concept I mean, you, in mind. Exactly. You would probably... What archetype am I in the original <clears throat> game or concept? And then what class would that be in 5e? Would that be a good one? Or So you could, you could find a, a, a counterpart. But when it came down to specifics, like what, what powers do you have in the original game, you would not be able to pick those exact powers probably in 5e, at least not at a certain level range. So it would more be more on... It would it wouldn't be a science. It would be a craft or maybe even an art. But you could you could probably do it. Yeah. So in fifth edition, we're not dealing with um, the novice and adept way that skills are handled no. in Simbro. No, exactly. it's, it's, it's handled more like you can get this up to level five, and then this is a level eight ability, and this will unlock at level ten. Yeah. Exactly. More like that. And even if even if you could, you you could. Um, you could go into the game and say, I'm, I'm, I'm this type of, let's say, warrior, and I want to use these type of weapons, and these are the types of sort of uh, feats or burdens I want to have. That would work well. But then you would go into, okay, so you guys are, I'm an adept, maybe, in, in the original Symbrom game, that would put you at, those powers could be, they don't have an exact match, but they might be like somewhere between 7th and 10th level, whatever. So it's going to not, you can't just translate them within any team sort of yeah, I mean, that's easy one matrix, of the interesting things could, with could, fifth course, edition. Recreate them as you could do. I, I certainly remember when I first started playing D and D myself, having the, the the levels and being able to look through the book and look ahead. You can kind of map out what your story is going to be as. Mm-hmm. I can look at my character and see, oh well, by level ten, I'm going to get this, 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 and and I can and I can I have a roadmap of what my anticipation is going to be, whereas. Uh, something like Symbrum in its original, because it doesn't have that kind of linear progression, the 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 roadmap is much more up to you to decide or to not have at all <laughs> to yeah, just react yeah, in the exactly, moment exactly. as you play. And uh, and it, I mean, there's pros and cons to both of that. Uh, having that levels one to twenty progression does it, it can put you on rails. But that can also be comfortable as well for someone who needs those rails to help guide them through their storytelling. It, it's hard to to make a character that really sucks in five if you play by the book. You can you can take the original Simran game and, and turn and make a horrible character that has that makes no sense, and that would be hard to play. Probably fun too, but. Those are my favorite characters, yeah, though. I, I love I, I making agree, bad a lot, a lot of <laughs> play like, to lose. I, 
I called yeah. um, I called the original syndrome perfectly imbalanced at one point, and I I don't know if it's perfect anything, but the imbalance of it, I think is part of its charm. Five E is much more balanced, which is also a requirement if you make content for it. It makes no sense to be totally open. But another way of putting it is there's less system mastery in 5e than in the original Simbrum game, which means that a, a good player in the original Simbrum game can power game the system to quite a great extent. Uh, that is way harder to do in 5e since you're on a track. So it's a... It's... um. It, it depends. I understand why people like 5e. It's also it helps very, elevate yeah. players that feel weaker at the game, but it also caps mastered players from exploiting the game. It, it, it puts limiters on them. So, so it gets everyone up to the same speed limit on the highway. No one's going too fast and no one's going too slow. We're all going at the same right. Whereas because, I mean, the strength of the original Simbrome being that you can go at any speed you want, you could end up having a, a, a someone in a crappy little car going very slowly on the road next to a sports car flying past them. And I think that's the... It often comes down to the, the, the game master to help have a group that makes sense because either of those groups I find, I find if you do a group that where everybody applies the math hammer and tries to be as good as they can uh, by combining stuff allowed by the rules but maybe not always obvious. Uh, you can have a really cool group. They're going to be super powerful and do great things and everybody would have fun. You can also do the opposite. Just build the characters that are fun to play. Who cares about roles in combat, right? Make them interesting. Uh, and you can have a fun, probably pretty deadly experience, but still, the problem in, in original Symbrome, I think, turns up when some in a group are min-maxing <laughs> Like mad, and some just want to have a good time and create. Yeah, you know, there's more people. of an onus for your group to actually have that conversation and yeah. to check in and yes. and make sure: Are we all playing this for the same reason? Are you playing this game to tell a, an interesting, complicated, no one's a bad guy story, or are you playing a game to defeat me? Yeah. Because those are very different goals. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think that discussion is what you need to have. In in sort of more of a toolbox kind of game that the original Simurum game is. And I think 5e is more obviously geared to certain activities. Uh, not that yeah, it's the a little more gamified. Game it plays like a game yeah. uh, in 5th edition. And it, if for someone who's coming from even a direction of playing board games, 5th edition can be a little gentler uh, introducing you to to those mechanics. You can understand it. If you're coming more from a video game or, a, or like an MMO background, mm. um, Dungeons and Dragons is more familiar because it it, it it does play into its game part of yeah. role-playing game. Uh, whereas other indie games might lean more into the role-playing part of the role-playing game. And the game can take a back seat because it's all about telling that story. But that can be really overwhelming for someone who doesn't feel like a strong storyteller. And maybe they want to play a game that has more dice rolls and numbers and levels that help act as a bit of like a, a comfort or a safety blanket or a safety line yeah. to keep you in the game so that you're playing on the same level as everyone else. I, I really like what you said about having that initial discussion. I mean, even 5e promotes that now that you'd have a talk about how to play and what's off, off limits or what's not. And I think uh, any game 
certain syndrome should do that too. Since there are political, if, if you want to lean into the political stuff, which I, which I personally do quite a lot when I play or when I DM. The, so I want to make sure that my guys understand that you can probably take these guys but they're part of a, an organization that is super powerful and they will not forget. Oh, so I'm not, stop, I'm not stopping you. I'm just saying, if you take, we had a, in one of my games, they came up a couple, again, a couple of Templars and they were like, we're actually outnumbering them and they're in a bad position. We can take them now because they really don't like the Templars. And some other group might, but my players don't. And I just gently reminded them that you can do it and I'm not saying you won't, just... You're, you all know that the temple organization is really powerful. And if, 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 you, if you take these guys out and there are witnesses, you're, not, you're, you're likely to end up on their shit list. Even if you win, you'll be branded Templar killers. Exactly. And, and you'll be on their shit list. They will chase you forever. And, yeah. and that would go not just for the Templars, go for any organization, right? So, so even though, so have a, have a bit of that, you know, the social context of, of we're not, I'm not trying to teach anyone anything. It's more about the world feels more realistic. Why? It's like um, I mean, you know exactly. And this is a good moment to remind you know safety mechanics uh, can uh, I think for Symbrum are are really important to bring up because this is a darker setting than default Dungeons and Dragons because you're dealing with politics and you're also dealing with classes like the way goblins are handled yeah. might be uncomfortable for a player at your table. So you need to talk about we're going to be dealing with 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 these inequalities. Even the, the, the origins of changelings are really fascinating to some players. But if you've got a player at the table who is on the spectrum and understands that historically changelings in the real world were done to oppress children who were autistic sure, sure. and to, to, to not acknowledge that like it, it is it is a it is a it is a thing that you need to reveal before you play these will be the themes of our game exactly. this is what we are going to play with the these these are the different ingredients we are going to be using in our story and checking in with your players to confirm that are we all comfortable with this or is there something that you would rather not have included in the setting if you don't want to be doing a templars hunting people down because that is really uncomfortable for you or there's no enjoyment for you, mention that in your game. We just won't have Templars in our story. Yeah, well, maybe That's they exist, fine. But it doesn't ruin the game in any way. Whatever. Yeah. Exactly. They can just be out of frame. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's really good because, again, there's nothing in, in Symbrum that forces you to play a very dark and, you know, soul-wrenching game. But there are elements of the game that we, I would, I would deem them... We've tried to make them feel realistic in in this in the pursuit of immersion. I think this is an actual place. Injustices do exist, um, but that doesn't mean you have to riff on them or you don't have to take part in them. Or by by by, I mean you you could have a a changeling that, that grew up among uh, loving parents. It's not that they have to be kicked out. It's you can you can do that, but you should talk about what is this and where do you want to go with it, right? So. Sort of a meta discussion of uh, what happens since it's since it's a, it's a more um, it's a more interconnected world and it's not so clearly uh, geared towards the world being at the fundamental level good and the people around you on a fundamental level supportive. That's not necessarily how this plays, but you can you can 
you can do it differently. I mean, I, I play, I play with Simbarum with different groups and they've had different, the grayscale can be darker or, or, or brighter still on the gray, but, but you can, you can, um, you can tweak that depending on what you want to do. You don't get stuck in a place that feels it's entertainment, right? It's supposed to be not fun. That's not the right word. It should be feel, it should feel rewarding and not, not painful. Yeah, exactly. If it's not an enriching experience, yeah, you don't want yeah. to be doing something at the story that is taking more from the player than you're giving them. And yeah. that's just not, it's just not enjoyable. It's not fun. And and even, even in horror, like playing horror games or watching horror movies, mm. yeah, we're doing it because we're dealing with emotions that would typically not be fun to have but they are fun to experience in a controlled setting that's kind of why we keep going back to watch scary movies and and we can do that with a game like this but you just need to not be afraid of checking in with your players being honest about your stories and and even having meta talk i know especially if we're dealing with fifth edition dungeons and dragons there is such a a, a an opposition to any kind of meta talk or table talk at the table. Mm. And I don't, I'm not of the mind that that's a bad thing. I don't think meta talk is bad. I think it is good to check in with, this is what I want to do today. I'm thinking of betraying the group. Is that going to be okay with everybody? And, and, and you can still be surprised, but the last thing I want to do is stab a back, is stab a player in the back and just ruin their night. And they never play Dungeons and Dragons again. Yeah, that that's sad. not yeah. it's not fun anymore right like check in with with your players to let you know what or at least with some or at least with the dungeon master to yeah. find out this is what i want to do is this okay yeah. or or would it be better to have a different playbook tonight and i think that's uh, that makes a lot of sense to me especially if you're playing i, I play different groups and some of them i've played with the same people since the games i mentioned in the 80s right so i know these people well so we know very well what we what we enjoy and not and where the limits are and stuff like that but in other groups you don't so you, you need to talk more about this stuff and um, so it's uh just one of those things where i think it was it became very clear to us when we started to have kids uh some of us in the i guess that would be in the 90s or early 2000s that taste changed for those people quite a lot in how they wanted to play. And certain themes, not that we were, you know, doing anything weird in the in the games, but certain themes became super sensitive uh, that weren't before. So even if we knew each other, we had like, sure, check that. Understand, don't, you know, don't portray violence against kids or threats against kids. That's not, it was probably never fun, but you know, Nobody pro probably reacted earlier, but then it's like, okay, so let's not do that. That just feels awful. And then when I got kids myself, I couldn't watch certain programs on TV because they're just, ah, I don't even want to think about that. So again, we're back to should be engaging and, and rewarding, even though it doesn't have to be haha funny at all times. Excellent. Matthias, I, I want to thank you for spending so much time with me to talk about fifth edition Symbrum. it's in kickstarter right now there'll be links in the show notes i know people don't you don't look at the show notes but they're all in there there's wonderful links in there that will link you not just to the kickstarter but also to all the other uh uh Symbarum stuff that we've done previously on the podcast as well as uh where you can find out more through free league uh matthias is there a place where we can follow up with you um 
Well, it could be the, the free league uh, forum. So right now in the Kickstarter comments is where you find me, or if you have anything specific, you can message me. Mess- you can use the messenger function on, on Kickstarter, probably most uh, direct if you have any more. Uh, any, any input or, or questions, so especially on the 5e version, but I'm, I'm there a lot. So Excellent. And I've, I've put out a word. I'm, I'm, I'm looking into it. Uh, we, we may be giving ourselves a playtest of the 5th edition Syndrome uh, very soon. This is a setting that when we made our characters for it, we're like, wow, we really want to play this game. Uh, but we've, uh, we, we've taken a, a, a hiatus on recording games right now while it's been difficult to get everyone in the same room. So uh, we, uh, I'm working on it. And, and, and I put out a call on, on, uh, to, to, to my friend's to my friend network and I got a lot of responses and so uh, we'll see uh, in May if um, if I'm able to get uh, a team together and, and we're going to play through the 5th edition Syndrome um, uh, there's a, a setting I believe that has been made like a, a quick start uh, setting uh, to, to get people into it so uh, uh, we're looking into that and and uh, check this space uh, it, we'll, we'll have a we'll put a follow up on, uh, on the website soon if that happens so, Matthias, thank you again uh, uh, for, for joining us. I thought this was, this was a really interesting conversation, learning about the history of Symbrom, uh, the challenges in converting it to 5th edition, but also uh, some of the things to keep in mind when we're, when we're playing in these settings that aren't always so cut and dry. Um, any parting words? Is there anything that we didn't touch on that you'd like to, to leave us with? Some final thoughts? No, I, I, um, I think your uh, questions were well-informed, and I think the discussion develop well from that so um i just want to thank you justin for for your for your attention special thanks to matthias for spending so much time with me to talk about Symbrome, the ruins of Symbrome fifth edition out on kickstarter right now you can check the link in the show notes you've only got like a day to check in while the kickstarter wraps up but i'm looking forward to seeing what this fifth edition rule set actually looks like we also have interviews with the other Matthias, Matthias Johnson Hawke, co-creator of Symbrum, which you should go back and listen to to get some bigger context. And of course, we already checked out Symbrum in Session Zero, where we created characters in this world and talked about what that was like. So check out TerribleWarriors.com for all of these Meet the Maker series, the Session Zero series, a new Behind the Screens series I've started, as well as we actually did another actual play game. We played Underhill Bywater, this wonderful independent game about playing halflings who don't want to go on no adventure. Thank you very much. The first two episodes are available right now at TerribleWarriors.com. To stay up to date on what we're up to, follow us on Twitter at DiceWarriors. And of course, this show is made possible because of support over at Patreon.com slash TerribleWarriors. And we are playing through The Forbidden Lands, another free league game, the Raven's Purge. We're playing it monthly and you can join in by signing up for the terribly important Patreon club, the tip club, where we meet once a month to play a game that I run for you. We'll be back again next week with another episode. And until that time, we get to roll dice at the tables together. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. Of course, be good to each other. <laughs>